This is an Equity Beats Media podcast. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to the Equity Mates Summer Series, proudly brought to you by Comsec, the home of investing. Over 12 episodes, we're deep diving into some of the most exciting, interesting, and well-known companies from around the world. Each episode, we'll be unpacking one company with one expert investor. We'll learn from their process and hear why they like the company. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. You all right? (laughs) What is this? (laughs) I was actually just thinking about a, a, a... just finished a really good cop show and over in the UK they always ask each other instead of being like how are you they just go all right uh okay <laughs> is this gonna be your thing for 2024 no, no, different greetings no it's not no, all right not. all right well look I am all right I'm <laughs> more than all right I'm excited because uh here at Equity Mates we love Australian and New Zealand companies that are taking on the world we love wise tech Afterpay had its moment in the sun. Zero is taking on the world. Altium, uh, some Aussie and New Zealand companies making it in the big time. Yeah. But we also love Aussie investors that are making it in the big time. (laughs) And today we have one such investor, Tobias Carlisle, hailing from sunny Queensland, Mm. but now over in equally sunny Los Angeles. He is taking the American investing world by storm, but he's still making time to jump on this podcast. He's the principal at Acquirers Fund. And today we're diving into a company that he has selected, InMode. Cannot wait. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to talk to Tobias. Now, the Equity Mates Summer Series is proudly supported by Comsec, who make it easy to tap into the world's leading share markets. We're covering plenty of global stocks in this series that are likely to get you excited. And Comsec has 13 international markets available from the US to Norway, Germany, and Japan. Get the access you need as a global investor and invest in shares on the US market from just five USD brokerage. Download the Comsec app today or visit comsec.com.au. Comsec T's and C's and other fees and charges apply and investing in overseas markets exposes you to additional risk. And before we get started, we need to remind you that while we are licensed, we're not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Any information on this show is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general. Now, Bryce, with that said, before we bring in Tobias, I want to talk to you about the treatment gap. The which? Yeah, well, (laughs) well, to introduce InMode, we really need to introduce this concept because this is what... They are, I guess, trying to pioneer and then trying to close. Mm. They're trying to open it and then close it. They're trying to open the treatment gap and close it. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> let's not go too far down that rabbit hole. <laughs> Basically, uh, if we go to the market for aesthetics, there is laser clinics at the moment that apparently do 40 million procedures annually. They're non-invasive. They're in office. You know, it could be hair removal. It could be, you know, like uh, veins that are showing. They'll mm. laser them. Typically, it's things like laser hair removal and stuff like that. Yeah. 40 million procedures annually. Then according to InMode, there's a big gap. And then on the other side of this gap, this chasm, is plastic surgery. Okay. And that there's two and a half million plastic surgery procedures annually worldwide and that's- Feels low. Really? Yeah. Just think about how many people are in the US alone. Anyway, it just feels low. Okay. Yeah. Well, you can take that up with- I will. Whoever. Uh, <laughs> and 
you know, the laser procedure is non-invasive, but it, it's not, I guess, as effective not, or as, yeah, as comprehensive. Com- that's a good one. Yeah. Long lasting. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then on the other side, plastic surgery is a big step. Yeah. And so in mode belief, there's this big unmet middle, this big gap of treatments that they're trying to create. That is like better than than laser and, and gives probably results closer to plastic surgery, yeah. but is not as invasive and perhaps expensive as the plastic surgery option. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they're creating a product that sits in between. Well, they've created a number of products that sit in between. And we'll talk about some of them because I think that if we talk about some of them, you get a sense of what they're trying to do. And a lot of their products used radio frequency technology. And then before we get to the products, essentially their key customer is the doctor, like potentially a plastic surgeon or a dermatologist or a obstetrician gynecologist or the laser clinic themselves. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to sell their products to either side of the game, yeah. I guess. Allow them to offer alternatives for yeah. their clients. So let's introduce one of their common I guess their biggest product, it's called RFAL and it promises body fat removal without plastic surgery. They say here the surgical face and body results without the large visible scars in quotations, the holy grail of plastic surgery. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so essentially they're trying to deliver this radio frequency energy into the subcutaneous fat and they think that can reduce fat. Zapping it away? It just feels melts so, it. Like <laughs> I just feel it feels so scammy. I'm not saying it is. Yes. Let's not get sued in no. our summer series. No. But it just feels it feels like an infomercial listed. If an infomercial listed on the stock market, it would be this company. <laughs> Uh, good, good. <laughs> um, so that's just one of their many products. To take another product, their Define Cheek and Define Chin are hands-free treatments that use bipolar radio frequency energy to heat the skin with real-time temperature control to treat and improve skin to reveal a radiant appearance. Or let me introduce you to another one of their products, Body Tight. Tight is spelled T-I-T-E. Nice. It's a minimally invasive single treatment that coagulates tissue, providing dramatic results. That's essentially it. Providing dramatic results. Providing dramatic. So that, yeah. that would be for the, the plastic surgery. Uh, the, you want to tighten up your chin, your nose. Like your, loose skin. Your yeah, neck, yeah, 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 yeah. Your yeah. loose skin. So I think like the, the range of products that they offer are sort of fat removal, skin... Uh, tightening yeah but just all, just like a, a and blemishes and stuff like that yeah and then they have some products which are a little bit more like traditional like laser, laser hair removal hair, and stuff yeah. like that so they're in the aesthetics and beauty space they're a big company they sell their products in 93 countries but they're really trying to establish i guess a third category mm. in this space mm. between the surgeons and the mm. laser clinics look i um i get the same sense it, it's like hard to sort of conceptualize the true effectiveness of these things or but it's a growing industry put, like, it, put it this way as a bigger guy if they can actually melt away 40 percent of your fat sign me up 
Would you do this or a Zempic though? Well, a Zempic, you have to inject yourself and stuff like true, that. True, true. That's not is, – is, yeah. Honestly, I, I should probably just go for a run. But <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I think for me, like I, I can – the cosmetic – industry has been growing at a rate of knots for, think, for a while now. Do you think if these guys nail it, it'll actually devalue themselves? Do you think like being ripped and skinny will be less uh, like it, 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 the more attainable it becomes, the less impressive it will be? No. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, talking about something that is hard to attain – their revenue growth rate is pretty impressive. It is phenomenal. And I, th- I think we should say that Tobias, who will be joining us shortly, he comes at his investments f- purely quantitatively and from a screener. So this company has obviously from a, you know, from the, for the metrics that he looks at, and we'll ask him about that, this has come up in his screener. Uh, I don't think he's looking at it from the point of view of this is amazing technology or revolutionary. So I don't know. He is based in LA now. Maybe true. maybe he's got uh, friends and family. Knows that something that we don't. <laughs> invest in what you know. And LA certainly knows these clinics. But, you know, this is a company that's growing profit in double digits, mm. growing revenue in double digits as well, and is trading at a price-to-earnings ratio of 10. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, that ticks a lot of Tobias's boxes. Mm. It also has, I think, no debt and about $600 million on its balance, balance sheet. sheet. Cash to spend. Yeah, yeah. And it's a $1.8 billion market cap. So take the cash off the market cap and get the enterprise value. And then, you know, it's even less than a 10 multiple. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, if you take it away without knowing the product and someone said to you, double-digit revenue and profit growth, $600 billion on the, the balance sheet, Price to earnings of ten, like you're you're going like this sounds pretty juicy. Yeah, it's just that uh, it's an int- it's it's operating in an industry, <laughs> interesting industry. Yeah, <laughs> and there's no doubt that this industry has heaps of tailwinds. Mm, like, mm. there's no doubt that this is a good industry to play in. Mm. It's just like yeah, I, I actually wonder. So obviously here in Australia. We have seen a lot of our healthcare stocks get whacked by the Ozempic effect. Yeah. ResMed with sleep apnea masks, CSL because of their kidney treatments. Yeah. InMode is down about 50% from July. I wonder if that is Ozempic related as well. We can ask Tobias. Mm. But yeah, like as you said, take the company away and just look at the financials. Yeah. And it's a pretty compelling story. Now, I'm excited to chat to Tobias, but before we do, Comsec is the home of investing. And if you want to start small, you can through the ComBank app. You can invest with as little as $50. Consistent, small amounts can add up to meaningful returns. Visit combank.com.au for more. Comsec T's and C's and other fees and charges apply. We'll be right back with Tobias after this short break. You're listening to the Equity Mates Summer Series. So we're here with Tobias Carlisle. Tobias, welcome to Equity Mates. Hey, thanks for having me, fellas. Good to see you again. I think the last time I saw you was Omaha. Yes. Yes, 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 it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After we'd just finished the 5K fun run. Yes. <laughs> what a, t- what a <laughs> was time. Was it fun? Uh, for me, it wasn't so much. I yeah, think it's it was the fun. first time I've fun. run 5K in like 10 years or something. So. <laughs> 
but the whole weekend was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah it was great. Loved it. You were uh, you were a celebrity over there, Tobias. We were. Uh, we're struggling to get a word in with you. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. At the front of one of those, one of the uh, meetings. Mm, mm. Everyone coming up, shaking hands. Yeah. Anyway, we're here to chat in mode. To kick off, Tobias, can you just broadly help us understand what in mode do? They make these machines that are minimally invasive or non-invasive for aesthetic, cosmetic sort of almost surgery in the States. And so that's that's their business. They sell these machines and they're, they're based in Israel. So they'll give you, I think that there's a lot of points in there for why this thing is a little bit undervalued at the moment. Yeah, it's a it's a funny one. We were we were speaking about it earlier in the episode and talking about the treatment gap as they they talk about it. You know, there's laser clinics and then there's plastic surgery and they're really trying to play in the middle of of that uh, space. It's certainly not an industry that Bryce. It's not in our uh, circle, circle, of circle of confidence. Like, uh, <laughs> well, it's not in our it's not in our uh, lived experience. So. <laughs> Uh, it's an interesting industry to look at. You're based in LA, so I reckon you uh, yes. you might have heard about some of their treatments a little bit more. But I guess, you know, we're not here to talk about the healthcare story. We're here to talk about the investment story. So when you come across this company and you think about it as an investment, what is it that is interesting to you and how do you start to analyze this company? So you guys know I'm I'm mostly quantitative. I have two funds. I have a large cap, mid cap fund and I have a small and micro fund in the States. I won't tell you the tickers so we won't all go bananas with compliance. But <laughs> this company went into my big fund and was in my big fund screen. And my little fund, the smaller companies, is the same strategy, just in a slightly lower market capitalization level. And so this one has now also fallen into my small and micro. So it's a small company. Market cap, I think, Today at close was a little bit over $1.6 billion, which is pretty small by US standards. Enterprise value is a billion. So they've got a lot of cash sitting on their balance sheet. What they do is selling these machines. And so many of these machines are bought by businesses that then on-sell the services on the other side or use them to deliver the services. And so for the client purchasing this machine, it's mostly a commercial decision. and the increase in rates over here has made it more difficult to finance these machines, which is one of the reasons why they've had a little bit of a slowdown in the sales, although sales have been growing very rapidly and probably continue to do so. I think that that theme of people doing a lot of these sort of minimally invasive things to their bodies will only increase as people get wealthier and older, which just as a general theme, I think that that's not a bad one to bet on. That's not really the basis for my bet here. Mine is more purely on how undervalued I think this thing is. If you just look at the stats on this thing, you're getting for the P is under 10. Free cash flow yield is around 10%, which is absolutely mammoth for a company of this quality. Their return on what they, the machines sell for giant margins, gross margins, more than 80%. It's a very, very good business. The question is how competitive does it get and how much of that gets squeezed you know, over time and probably there is some room for that to come out. But at the moment, it's sort of a – I think that the, the valuation is so good 
that you can afford to have a lot of, um, you know, the business can be competed away with a little bit and it still be a pretty good performer for a period of time. So mostly I think it's a deep value stock that's much, much better than a deep value stock. Yeah, just so to put some numbers to that, uh, profit last year, net income last year was 160 million. Uh, and as you said, the market cap is 1.6 billion, but it's got about $600 million in cash. So take that out. The enterprise value is about a billion dollars. And it, uh, it did 160 million in profit last year. It's, um, it's pretty rare. And then you, you, you overlay that with the revenue growth story. It's the, the financials are compelling. I guess, is that the core of the bull case? Just the value opportunity? Um, is there anything else when you, when you think about why this is an interesting investment opportunity? So for me, you know, because I, I am mostly quantitative, like for me, quantitative just means I mostly make my decisions based on what's in the financial statements. And the financial statements tell a pretty good story that if this sort of continues into the future, I think this is probably a very good investment. The other stuff around it, I think the theme and the place where it is also make it kind of a compelling investment. But that's usually stuff that I don't really get too involved in that because it's harder to be right on that stuff. For me, I think that's sort of, it's almost quasi macro, but I don't think we're, I think that the valuation is so compelling that a lot can go wrong for this company and it's still pretty good value where it is. I do think there are some reasons why it's cheap and I'm happy to go through it those with you guys if you'd like to do that. Well, that was going to be my next question because there's probably a fair few people listening thinking if it's such a great company, why is it such a a value play at the moment? So yeah, take us through it. They had a little stumble with the revenues, which is, so if you look at the chart, they've come off a lot over the last few months and they've come off a lot over the last sort of 12 to 24 months. The last few months have been a few things. One of them was just that geopolitical instability, Israel, Palestine, that kicking off was part of it. It's also their forward guidance. They, I can't remember exactly what the range was, but it might've been up to 550 and they've guided down a little bit below that. It's still over 500 million. And there's still, if you look at the analyst estimates, it's still growing for the next three or four years as far out as they can see. So I think that the business itself was pretty healthy. So I think that a lot of the reasons why it's sold off are sort of not necessarily related to the stock. There tend to be more more sort of macro type risks. One of the ones we were discussing before we came on, but you know, GLP one seems to be that's like the dog ate my homework kind of argument for why all of these from everything from Pepsi to Walmart to yes. why all of these companies have sort of struggled a little bit. Uh, and for people, GLP one is Azempic. Yeah, yes. that's the semaglutide. It's the it's the drug that stops you from eating, gets rid of your <laughs> appetite for an extended period of time. And it seems to work very, very effectively. But there's this concern. And the funny thing is that the, it's, it's sort of hit all of these, you know, Pepsi because it makes Doritos and, mm-hmm. and, you know, sodas and stuff like that. Walmart because it sells, I guess, a lot of junk food in there. And then it's sort of hit a few of these healthcare companies too. And I guess that these guys, because they're in the business of making people look better. But I would, I would argue that GLP-1, semaglutide, whatever, whatever you want to call it, the Ozempic, WeGovy stuff, maybe that's a benefit to these guys. Maybe people trim down and they decide they want to do like just as a, as a stepping stone to the full cosmetic makeover you, halfway through, you do this non-invasive, minimally invasive stuff. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, well, we were looking at a investor presentation for InMode uh, preparing for this and because they, they have a whole bunch of different machines that do a whole bunch of different cosmetic procedures, I guess. But the first one in their deck is the RFAL machine, which to quote them is the 
holy grail of plastic surgery. <laughs> and it's it's all about uh it's all about fat loss without, you know, doing uh, actually invasive, like invasive plastic surgery. And so yeah, the the obvious thought there is well their customers and now have a Zempic as an option as well. I would say it's also, you know, cutting down on the, the loose skin. Yeah, which, yeah, which yeah. Which might That's... be a, a side effect of the Zempic. Yes, mm. true. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I typically don't make investment decisions on this, but like I think <laughs> we can all come up with like good arguments one way or the other. So I, and I, I think it makes the story more colourful, but I would never make decisions on this basis because I don't know one way or the other. But I think the, the, the financials are so compelling. The one thing that really gives me pause with this thing, and it annoys me a little bit that they don't do this, they're obviously very cheap. They've got $600 million in cash in their balance sheet. Why aren't they doing a buyback? They asked the CEO and he said, and I this is only a recent thing. I only saw this in the last week or so. He said, our competitors did a big buyback and their stock price didn't go up. And I, I think that that's just not what you want to hear from a mm. manager. You want to hear them. You know, the, the manager should understand that the nature of the buyback is to buy back stock that is undervalued because mm. that increases the value for everybody else who's hanging around it. Mm. At some point in the future, over time, if you do it and you demonstrate that you're a good allocator of capital, you're rewarded with a higher stock price in the future. It's not like a... We've announced the buyback. Why hasn't our stock gone up? Yeah. I think that's the wrong approach. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at their balance sheet now over the last few years. And, you know, 2020, end of 2020, 260 mil. The year after, 415 mil. End of 2022, almost 550 mil. And now uh, over 600 mil. So they have just been accumulating, like they've been profitable and they've just been accumulating cash on that balance sheet. I mean, good news for them is that rates are higher, so hopefully they're getting like four or five percent on that cash. <laughs> but yeah, like surely there's a lot of pressure, both from shareholders, as you just mentioned, but also internally to do something. Well, I think it's I, I really like it when management teams do buybacks because one thing it tells you is that the stock is genuinely undervalued. But that you know, if, sorry, that's only where they do it in in material side. You find buybacks being done all the time to mop up share based compensation, and I hate that kind of buyback. But the buybacks where they do it in meaningful size, and they do it with cash that they've already got on the balance sheet or from earnings, that shows you that the company really can support it, and they expect more pretty good earnings in the future. And it shows you that the management team know what they're doing. So when they have six hundred million dollars in cash on the balance sheet very undervalued stock price and they're not doing anything. That makes me nervous because it says either the cash is locked up for some reason or um, they're concerned about the future. They want that liquidity there because they're worried about what, what's going to happen in, in a downturn or something like that, which is probably, that's reasonable. It's good to be prudent, but $600 million of prudence, like that's a year's worth of revenue mm, or more. Mm. seems like too much to me. And uh, the attitude of the CEO was just wrong. A little bit frustrating when they do that, where they, you know, they, they view the stock price as something that you should be goosing up rather than sort of growing the value of the whole company for, for the, the shareholders. I always think of you know, Warren Buffett is the gold standard of how to treat shareholders. And I discount everybody else for the, to the extent that they don't live up to that standard. Mm. And there's a lot of things that I like about this company, but that, that little part is something that I definitely don't like. So I'm just, just in, 
in, for full transparency, talking about that, but I do like, otherwise I, I think it's very cheap and I think it's an interesting kind of business. Yeah. The other thing that it makes me think is like, you know, they, they make these big proclamations in their shareholder deck, the holy grail of plastic surgery. And they talk about this treatment gap that they're chasing, but it's like, if, if you really do have such a great solution for this gap in the market, pour fuel on that fire, like take your, the, all this cash that you've just sitting on the balance sheet and win the market and like do the customer education and the sales and all of that stuff that you need to do. I think to be fair, they have been growing pretty rapidly. They're saying 500 plus million dollars for 2023 in revs. And then they're saying 600 plus, you know, I think 666 for 2025. Like that's okay. Hmm. Yeah, material yeah, yeah. growth over the next few years. And it's not just a matter of, you know, it's not like a tech company that can just roll out infinite screens. Like they've actually got to make the machines, mm-hmm. get them out there, service them. There's some education. There's other bits and pieces that go with it. So I actually kind of really like their rate of growth. It's 10, they're forecasting like 10 to 13% for the next few years, which I think is like, that's a, that's a good number. That's a, that's a solid service. That number Make sure all the new customers stay around. I, I, I think it's all sensibly run. I think the figures are really good. The only thing that frustrates me a little bit is that was that comment that he made about the buyback. Mm-hmm. So when you take a quantitative approach to all of this, what are some of the red flags that you look out for, for it to no longer become an attractive investment? Like how do you start thinking about forming your bear case? I have a model that's constantly running and it's looking at how good is this business? How sustainable are these earnings? And what are we paying for these earnings? And ideally, I want the biggest discount I possibly can get from that valuation. And that's that's deep value. That's that's how I define deep value. And so the, the questions that the system is asking is looking at you know, how financially strong is this business? That's the first question. What's the balance sheet look like? Is it liquid? Is there a lot of debt? What does the business itself look like? Is the business generating lots of revenues? Are those revenues translating into gross profits? Are those gross profits falling through into earnings? Are they turning into cash flows? Is this a real business that's generating real cash flow? And then what are they doing with that? Are they reinvesting that at pretty good rates of marginal return on invested capital? Are they buying back stock where they're cheap and that offers a better alternative? It's sort of a question for that's that's how I measure management. I'm looking at what they're actually doing with with the cash flows, it's a bias of mine that I don't think you get a lot of information from management themselves. I think that there are lots of good management teams around. There are lots of management teams who know what to say and who don't follow through on what they what they should say. So I just look at the, you know, the, many more buybacks are announced than are completed. All right. And so I always look at, are these guys in fact buying back stock? What has the stock, what are shares outstanding look like over the last five or 10 years and where they're shrinking materially, that's a very good sign, particularly when it's combined with an undervalued stock and a good balance sheet and a good free cash flow in business. And so that has all of these things except for the buyback. Buyback is not essential to my process. It's just a nice to have. I don't need a buyback. Lots of companies grow and need capital in addition to what they're generating because the opportunity is there. The opportunity is huge. They want to grow really quickly. They'll take outside capital. I got no problem with that at all. It's just that when these factors exist like this and they should be doing a buyback and they're not, then that's just something that's worth noting, I think. Mm. But it's not necessarily factoring in. I should say it's, it doesn't necessarily make, it's not a decision to go ahead or not go ahead. It's just one of those things that I would watch. Yeah. 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 
Mm. So Tobias, we like to finish these summer series episodes with asking about like the long term for a company. And, you know, if a company is successful in its ambitions, you know, what will it look like in, in 10 years? But but I guess when we're talking about in mode and your interest in it, it's really around the value opportunity and the financials. So we'll, we'll give this question a little bit of a twist. I guess when you're thinking about how long you want to hold it for, do you have a particular time period in mind? Is it just until it falls out of your screen? Or what, what, are, what are the reasons you would sell the company and, and what time frame are you thinking around that? I estimate that the ideal holding period for most of these companies tends to be around three to five years time because that it, that is about the time that it takes. Whatever issue is impacting the company and people are aware of it, that's about how long it takes for that to sort of disappear or be resolved. And then the, the price, because we're finding things that are trading at a big discount to where everything else is. And so it should drift back towards that price. Having said that, you know, I, I, I had a position in Meta last year. And I, I think that not that this is a meta type stock, but it's meta, it, it, it occupies the same place in my mind because it's a, one of the un, it's an unusually good business. You know, I deal with a lot of unusually bad businesses that are even further discounted, and so I just you know that's just the world that I live in. I don't mind, but I don't mind buying the horse that runs second or third, provided I'm getting some value, you know, for the show or the place. I'm not necessarily trying to pick the winner. Every now and again, I get these things in there that I think are better than average. And these are the ones I want to talk about a little bit. And Meta was a good example. If you had asked me then, how long do I plan on holding Meta? Like, I'll hold Meta for as long as it's the best opportunity in the opportunity set. And I don't hold Meta anymore. We sold it out in Q2, Q3. And the same could happen with this. If it gets, if it bounces very quickly, it could get sold out. It could also get have a deterioration in the financial statements and get sold out for something that is a better opportunity. So I always want to hold the best opportunities. I rebalance on a quarterly basis. So it's possible that there's a deterioration in this. It gets sold out in the next rebalance date and it's not in the portfolio. Having said that, I've purposefully chosen it because it's still in my screen and it's still in my portfolio. And I think that it will be there for the next rebalance. I'm pretty sure it'll be there for the next rebalance. So I plan on holding these things forever and I really prefer it when they stay undervalued, but they kind of perform along the way, which happens with, it happened with Hewlett Packard, HPQ, because they were doing a great buyback the whole way through. It's a terrible business, but it throws off a lot of cash and they buy back stock. And so it performed really well and I held it for a long time. I don't hold it now, unfortunately, but the ideal holding period is forever. But if it doesn't make through the next quarterly rebalance, then it's gone. Nice. Well, Tobias, we have uh, we have run out of time today, but thank you so much for uh, coming on. It's always such a pleasure chatting with you because you bring a, a new stock and uh, and a different perspective. So we really enjoy it, and uh, and I know our community love uh, listening to you as well. So thank you so much. Well, that's very kind. I always love doing these things. Anytime you fellas want me back, I'll be happy to do that. Thank you. Nice one. Thanks, Tobias. <laughs> thanks, Jens. Now, before we go, a huge thanks to our summer series partner, Consec, the home of investing. If you're looking for more support and resources to build confidence in the market, head to their content hub. Otherwise, you can get $0 brokerage on your first 10 trades for Aussie markets when you join, brokerage on US stocks from just $5, US and you can invest from as little as $50 through the ComBank app. Download the ComBank app today or visit combank.com.au. Comsec T's and C's and other fees and charges apply. Investing in overseas markets exposes you to additional risk. Now stick with us as next episode, we have Junbei Lu unpacking Altium. 
You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have physicians in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697.